listening to the Baby Your Baby podcast with me, Jade Elliott, where we talk all things pregnancy, children, and parenting. Don't forget to subscribe and share with your friends. Baby Your Baby is a KUTV2 news podcast and is sponsored by Intermountain Healthcare, Broadway Media, and the Utah Department of Health. You're listening to the Baby Your Baby podcast with myself, Jade Elliott, joined today by Dr. Jessica Page with Intermountain Healthcare. Thanks for being with us. Thank you for having me. We're talking about, uh, of course, a very, um, a very touchy, a touchy topic, an emotional topic, uh, recovering after miscarriage. It, of course, is always exciting when you get the first results of being pregnant. Um, you find out that you are caring, and you know, we should note, of course, and if you listen to our Baby or Baby podcast, you know that most pregnancies are completely normal Um, but during the first few weeks we also know that it is um, you know it can be uncommon to experience miscarriage or that it's not uncommon rather to experience miscarriage Um, and that can be devastating that can be devastating uh, to you know just the woman who found out she was pregnant to her spouse or partner to the whole family Um, You're going to kind of walk us through and answer some of the questions that uh, many may have about miscarriage and uh, about, you know, recovering from that. You're a maternal fetal medicine physician. Uh, You specialize in managing high-risk pregnancies, and you have researched and studied miscarriages. Uh, Dr. Page, first let's just kind of touch on you know, what is a miscarriage? What is the typical time frame in which it can occur? Um, what, as a woman, would we, we be experiencing through that? So a miscarriage generally is defined as when uh, a pregnancy is lost in the first trimester. So that is at 12 weeks or earlier. Um, miscarriage in and of itself isn't exactly like a strict medical term. It's one that's more used, you know, kind of generally in the population and one that people are familiar with. Uh, Other terms that are used are like early pregnancy loss or, you know, an embryonic demise, things like that. So there's lots of different terms in this regard, but in general, uh, miscarriage is the one that most people are familiar with. And it typically refers to losing a pregnancy at 12 weeks or earlier. You know, I never want anyone to listen to our podcast and have fear instilled in them by any means. We know that miscarriages can happen, but we also know that most pregnancies are normal. But how common are miscarriages uh, kind of as a whole? Like what percentage of pregnancies do you see miscarriages happening in? So in general, of pregnancies that are clinically recognized, meaning that the patient knows that she's pregnant, she's had a positive pregnancy test, maybe you've had an ultrasound performed. In a, it, miscarriage happens in about 10% of those clinically recognized pregnancies. So that's a pretty high number. And it's even higher in those that are unrecognized where a patient may think like, oh gosh, maybe my period was just a little bit late or um, you know, perhaps her cycle's irregular so she didn't really think anything of it. And it can be in up to you know, 20 to 30% of pregnancies in general when we include those ones that did were not clinically documented or recognized. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure there are 
a number of different things that can factor into uh, why someone may miscarry, but what are some of the causes for a miscarriage? Um, so there are n- numerous causes. Um, and so the large category, the, the major t- categories or causes of miscarriage that we think of, um, the chief one are genetic abnormalities for that pregnancy. So uh, situations in which the uh, genetic material of the forming uh, embryo or didn't work correctly. And so that often leads to miscarriage. And uh, the other reasons that it could happen are maternal medical conditions, um, structural abnormalities of the uterus that make implantation difficult. Uh, Those are some of the main reasons that miscarriage occurs. In particular, for those women who experience recurrent miscarriages, that's, those are the causes that we try to evaluate for. And some of those things that you mentioned, um, the mother might not even be aware of. Absolutely. I, I mean, anyone can have uh, a pregnancy in which a genetic problem is present. It doesn't mean that you yourself as the mother have a genetic problem yourself. Rarely you may be carrying a genetic abnormality that you might not know about. Um, but most of the time that's something that happens in as like an isolated event in that particular pregnancy. Um, and so it's, it's one of the most common things and people wouldn't necessarily, you know, any, anyone could be at risk for that. And in fact, um, it happens, you know, with some frequency, we offer genetic screening to all, uh, pregnant moms. Um, but, but that typically is done later in pregnancy. And, you know, talking about some of those genetic reasons that you may miscarry, um, and you, you mentioned just a moment ago that. You know, just because there was a, a genetic issue in this pregnancy that you miscarried doesn't mean that you as a mom, you as a, as a woman have this genetic issue. But I think that that's something that automatically is triggered in the mind of a woman who miscarries is, well, this must have been my fault. Absolutely. I think, you know, as moms, we try you know, we hold ourselves responsible for our children and our families, and it's really hard not to assign guilt and uh, to ourselves in the setting of a miscarriage or any pregnancy complication. We always feel that, gosh, I must have been, it must have been something I did. Perhaps I was too stressed. Maybe I drank too much soda or coffee. You know, I exercised too hard. Like, and I think that what we really try to do as uh, providers is to try to eliminate that those feelings of guilt and try to you know reassure parents that for the vast majority of cases these are things that you could not have impacted or intervened upon they are by no means your fault um and that it's it's one of the um difficult things about uh you know pregnancy is that they these things can happen and there's not always anything we can do to prevent them and I mean, and a miscarriage can happen after you've had a completely normal pregnancy as well. Absolutely. Yep. Um, even if you've had a history of, a, you know, one or more normal pregnancies, miscarriages can occur. And in fact, you know, as women age, the, the risk of miscarriage becomes higher. So by virtue of, you know, growing older and maybe having more pregnancies ahead of time, you may be at higher risk at later ages than you were, say, when you were having your first pregnancy. Sure. 
And what about reducing the risk of it? I'm, uh, you know, it's one of those things where um, probably no guarantee that any one thing may or may not work or help. But there's got to be things, of course, as as a woman that we can do to at least try to reduce the risk of a miscarriage. Absolutely. I think that uh, in terms of reducing risk, both for miscarriage and for pregnancy complications in general, I think it kind of comes down to um, just trying your best to take good care of yourself and manage any chronic medical conditions that you may have. So um, things that are, you know, are accepted practice uh, in general would be, you know, when when you're attempting to conceive, avoiding alcohol and tobacco, um, you know, making sure that if you do have underlying problems such as high blood pressure, diabetes, that those issues are well taken care of and optimized so that you're as healthy as possible uh, when, when you enter into your next pregnancy. And now is there, um, is there a reason why some women would experience more than one miscarriage? Some may never experience a miscarriage. Is there any sort of correlation between it, rhyme or reason? Well, you know, I will say, you know, as we talked about in miscarriage is unfortunately common um, in up to, you know, 10% of clinically recognized pregnancies. So there's not always a reason why someone does or does not experience one other than, you know, kind of bad luck. Um, You know, we talked about some of the causes of recurrent miscarriage. And so when a woman has had two or more miscarriages, that's where we start to think, hmm, I wonder you know, do you have one of these other conditions going on that we could uh, address and better, you know, manage you or better optimize your chances of having a, a successful pregnancy in the future? So that's where we would make sure, you know, is the uterine cavity normal? Do you have any medical conditions that we could improve upon? Are um, you know, is there a, you know, what what happened with the prior pregnancies? Were they uh, was it a genetically abnormal embryo or in rare, rare cases, about 2% of couples, one of the uh, individuals could carry a genetic abnormality that could lead to um, recurrent miscarriage. Mm-hmm. So that's when people have had two or more losses, that's where we start to look into those potential causes of recurrent losses. Because for someone to have just one loss, it's, you know, well, well, it certainly is devastating and not common to that woman or her family. It is a common enough occurrence that we wouldn't necessarily expect, suspect that there's an underlying problem, like medical problem for that person. And what about some of the signs and symptoms of miscarriage? What, you know, if, um, you know, our listeners are planning a pregnancy or have just become pregnant or, you know, have a friend or, or whatever, um, what are some of those signs or symptoms that you might, you know, experience with a miscarriage? Um, So some of the most common signs would be uh, bleeding or cramping uh, in the first trimester. And this is difficult because having a little bit of bleeding and cramping is not an uncommon thing. And most of the time that woman will go on to have a successful pregnancy. But uh, those are sort of the main signs and symptoms of miscarriage. And if those occur, it's reasonable to contact your doctor and to be seen to ensure that things are still looking okay. Um, For some women, they don't have any symptoms. And it's, you know, when a miscarriage is diagnosed at the time of their first visit. Um, So it's one of those things that um, is a little bit hard because you might not have any 
warning signs. Um, and for women who have had miscarriages in the past, I usually recommend that we see them um, with some frequency early in pregnancy just to document that there's a viable embryo and help provide uh, reassurance along the way that things are progressing normally. And, you know, in the, in the event that you do miscarry, um, you know, how soon after that then can you get pregnant or, or, you know, start the process of trying to get pregnant again? Yeah, there's not any, you know, strict recommendation on the time interval between completing a miscarriage and trying again for another pregnancy. Um, there aren't data to say that if you wait, you know, two months versus eight months, that that really makes any difference. Uh, so I usually counsel patients that uh, it's okay to try as soon as they feel emotionally ready to do so. And I think the emotional part of it is a very important part of it, um, talking about it is just important. There's so many women, you know, that do experience a miscarriage at some point and, you know, other women need to know it's okay to talk about because this is happening. You're not on an island by yourself. Uh, it's not your fault. Uh, you know, all of those things that surround the guilt, like we were talking about, some of the emotional impacts that a miscarriage can have. Um, so when it comes to that emotional side of things, you know, how, how do you talk women through it? What do you, you know, what kind of words do you give them in regards to recovering emotionally from a miscarriage? Um, you know, I, again, emphasize that this is not their fault um, and try to validate their feelings in terms of this being a hard thing. I think sometimes women have a difficult time following a miscarriage because people place a little too much emphasis on how common it is and as if that should make them feel less bad about it. Like, oh, well, this happens to lots of people, so you shouldn't feel bad about it. But that isn't true for everybody. This is, you know, it's often a very desired pregnancy and something that, you know, emotionally can be very hard, even though it does happen more frequently than we would like. And so I try to really validate that experience for the woman and her feelings um, and, you know, uh, help her define where does she get support from in her life as well? What is the best support mechanism for her here? Some patients find it useful to come in and talk with us, you know, several times. Some people can find that kind of triggering to come back into the doctor's office. Some people do well to connect with other moms and families who have experienced this. Some, you know, are uh, more supported by their immediate family and friends. Um, so really, whatever works best for her in that moment, um, we try to, you know, think about how, what, how do you feel you would be best supported through this process. And, you know, talking about some of that support, it, of course, is going to affect the mom, the woman, but this can also affect, you know, your partner, your spouse, your entire family. Um, Absolutely. You know, yeah, depending on, you know, maybe some of the conversations you've had with, you know, other children that you may have about baby and all of those things. Um, how, you know, how can, how can this affect the whole family? And then, you know, how can, how can we show that support to, you know, one another through that situation? Um, well, I think, you know, it's completely true that this is, can be challenging on the entire family. Definitely, I have interacted with families whose partners also, you know, are going through a grief process. And sometimes it's hard where 
maybe they don't experience it or deal with it in the same way as the patient. And so that can be a challenging thing for families to work through together. And that's why we try to give them space to kind of open that line of communication and think about what each of them needs during that time. When it comes to the rest of their family, I think also just offering uh, information and, and uh, support so that they feel like they are armed to answer questions um, or, you know, or even giving them the space to say, hey, I'm going to, you know, be offline for a little while uh, while we deal with this. And some families feel like they need a little bit of space is, is in terms of dealing with uh, loss before they can, you know, feel like they want to explain it to people or talk about it all the time. Um, that can be kind of overwhelming. Some people elect sort of a spokesperson for the family, say that, Maybe the mom is having a difficult time, um, but dad perhaps or her partner is doing okay. Maybe that person fields questions or concerns from family or friends and deals with stuff coming that way if, if the patient needs a little more space to grieve and that kind of thing. So I know there are a number of different resources available through Intermountain Health. You guys have so many resources for people, especially when it comes to emotional health. Um, you have the Intermountain Emotional Health Relief Hotline that people can call that number 1-833-442-2211. Talk to us a little bit about that and what people can expect if they call. So this is a free uh, emotional support service um, that's open seven days a week from 10 a.m. to 10 p.m. And it has uh, access to a coordinator who can provide uh, self-care support tools, peer support, treatment options, as well as crisis resources and, and more. So it's a great resource for patients that is, you know, largely accessible um, in a safe virtual manner during the pandemic, which is nice. And at no, and at no charge. Right, exactly. And, and it is such a great resource and something I think that so many um, can utilize right now, uh, especially, you know, when you're going through something that can, can be so devastating as a miscarriage. Um, and then what about your walk-in behavioral health access centers? Talk to us a little bit about that, how people can utilize those, and especially, um, you know, right now in, in kind of the pandi pandemic season that we're in. Absolutely. So we have um, behavioral health access centers at LDS Hospital in Salt Lake City, McKay in Ogden, and Dixie Regional in St. George. And those are open 24 hours a day. Um, they uh, have walk-in resources available. So if a patient is feeling unsafe or that she needs, you know, urgent treatment and, and care in person, she can go to those places. Uh, there are also um, sometimes other behavioral health locations that may have um, urgent appointments available, but based on timing of, of the patient's need might not be open or available at that moment. So these are nice um, resources for in-person care. Yeah, and and then just to go back to you know the relief hotline, that's just another great tool to have. Like you're saying, if you're able to get to one of these walk-in clinics or to meet in person, um, or don't feel comfortable mm -hmm. meeting in person right now, you can still you know reach out through that emotional support hotline, and um, you know get the tools and resources that way as well. Absolutely. Well, I so appreciate your time today, Dr. Page, and, and talking us through kind of what that recovery after miscarriage looks like. Um, it's, of course, a heavy topic. It's a hard topic, but it's a really important topic 
to talk about. So I thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And that concludes this episode of the Baby Your Baby podcast with myself, Jade Elliott, and Dr. Jessica Page with Intermountain Healthcare. Thanks for joining me, Jade Elliott, and our guest for this week's Baby Your Baby podcast. If you have a topic that you'd like our Baby Your Baby experts to discuss, leave us a comment and don't forget to subscribe. Baby Your Baby is a KUTV2 news podcast and is sponsored by Intermountain Healthcare, Broadway Media, and the Utah Department of Health.